What's up, everybody? This is Kyle Krieger, and I am one half of the team at Lighthouse Educator Development and Value as Value. And I want to welcome you to this episode of the Value as Value podcast, along with Wilkie Law. We started this podcast three years ago to help teachers become the kind of teacher their kids deserve. And we're so thrilled to be joined by you on this journey and to have you be a part of our uh, teaching community. So you're here because you want to get better. You want to be that teacher your kids deserve. You want to be that teacher your kids need. And we hope to help you become that teacher by sharing our stories and the stories of educators from around the country of how they built their craft through experience, how they continue to sharpen their skill set through reflection, and how they're leveraging their authenticity to be the change that we need to see in our kids. So we're thrilled that you're here and we're so glad you joined us. But before you do that, if you don't mind hitting the subscribe button, we'd really appreciate it and sharing this episode if you find value. If you want to find us outside of this podcast, you can do that on YouTube uh, as value adds value. And as well, you can find us on Facebook as Lighthouse Educator Development or Twitter and Instagram. You can find us at value adds value. But for now, we hope you enjoy this episode of the Value Adds Value podcast. Before we get started on this episode, everybody, we want to take a chance to talk to you about a platform and a company that we believe in, and that's Nearpod. Now, we've had a relationship with Nearpod for over a year now, and it is by far the best educational platform we've ever used. What Nearpod is, is a presentation and engagement tool that you can use with your students. The things we love about it is you can create lessons that can either be paced by you, the teacher, or you can create lessons that allow your students to work at their own pace. And it's interactive. And one thing they've just added that makes it so much easier is it can integrate with Google Slides and vocabulary. So... If you want to try Nearpod for free, go to this website, go.nearpod.com backslash value adds value. That's go.nearpod.com backslash value adds value to try Nearpod for free. Hey everybody, it's Kyle here and just wanted to give you a little intro into the third part of this episode with Principal Cafele. Uh, you know, we set out to interview him for 45 minutes to an hour and it turned into two hours and just, there was so much to take in that we wanted to share with you in chunks. So if you haven't listened to the first two parts, go back. Um, the first part is really just the intro to Principal Kefele, his journey through his career. The second part is, um, about leadership style and this part is about how to create and change culture for teachers and we're... We're really proud and really happy to be ending our year with with this one. But um, we hope you enjoyed this episode. And like I said, if you haven't listened to the first two parts with Principal Kefele, you don't need to. But if you want to go back, they're there for you. So we hope you enjoy this episode and uh, hope it helps you on your journey. How can we change teachers' attitudes about how they impact students and school culture and the school culture? How can we shape that attitude? The educator's attitude toward that. I think a lot of it is in what you what you just said. 
in terms of meeting students where they are. Um, like you, you, you just alluded to thinking that we can have kids, quiet, sixth graders quiet in the classroom, right? And, and I'm thinking, you know, I'm looking at that, I'm looking, looking through my lens right now in terms of the students that I taught over the years or led over the years where we were in a city, black and brown, predominantly black, and I'm looking at the, the cultural ramifications there. And it's not, it's not realistic to have this militaristic rows in the classroom, students all sitting there and, and, and just absorbing and processing <laughs> for eight hours, six hours, whatever, whatever the length of the school day is in terms of instructional time. It's, it's, just, not, it's, it's, it's just not practical. But if I'm coming at it through this, this, this Eurocentric model of instruction, this, this, this 100 years old, where kids sit in this, these rows and just taking this information, it's not going to happen in that environment that I worked in. So, so, so what I want to do, and this is, why it's, this is why it's so important that a teacher is cultural proficient, because I want to take those, those cultural attributes of the child and, and build on it, right? As opposed to trying to repress it, right? So, or, or deny it. Because when I repress it or deny it, then I'm, then I'm denying that youngster of his or her own humanity, right? So, so, so let me make sure that the approach that I use is consistent with the youngsters who come from the zip codes that they come from in my building, in my space. And that's why I'm like going back to the beginning of this interview, I was saying that one has to know the, the students that attend your school, not the generic student that may be in some other school or some textbook or some article in some journal, but the students that attend your school. You have to you have to know them and ultimately understand them so that now as you craft that lesson and you're considering each of the learners within that space, there's a higher probability that I will make that connection. But if I don't have that cultural proficiency, then I'll be pointing my finger at the kid every time. Like there's a district somewhere that I won't name, but I want to give you this example. This district, you know, you talk about the difference between the equality mindset and the equity mindset. And here we, we're, we're talking about that equity mindset that I'm going to meet you where you are, but I can't do it if I don't have the proficiency to do it because I don't understand what my role is. So here, I was in this district and, and, and they wanted me to talk equity for a, a period of years. It was, it was a long-term contract. And I get there and, and the folks weren't ready for that yet because they was, they, they're sitting in that room and they're stuck in this equality mindset thinking and they're saying to me, that I don't see, like, like, like they rudely interrupted me. I mean, it was, it was the most disrespectful experience that I've had in my 34 years of public speaking. And, and they were saying, we don't, that stuff you're talking is not relevant here. We don't see kids according to race and ethnicity and, and um, culture and so forth. They said, we, these are our children, these are our babies, and, and, and we see them as, as, as such. So we see them the same. So what I give one, I give the other, I give the other. So I was, I said, man, I got work to do here. So, so, so now another one chimed in and giving me all these examples of why they don't need to hear this, 
right? I said, man, and all these, so you got this staff that's 98% white and a student body that is 78% of color. I said, and, and, and you're telling me that you're not seeing these youngsters for who they are? You're denying them? So they kept chiming in, chiming in, chiming in. I called that superintendent when I left. I said, look here, Doc. That contract we have, let's let's just toss that in the garbage, right? And um, you work with your district, because it was the whole district. You work with your district. And then when you think they're, you feel they're ready for this level of conversation, then call me and I, I'll come back. But right now, it is not worth it because they, 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 they're not even willing to listen. They want to debate. And I don't, I don't want to go, I don't, I, don't, I don't do this work to debate with anybody, right? I want to collaborate. So I'm, 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 I'm saying that to say that teacher has, has, has to have that cultural competency as it relates to the children that you service. And that is a part of professional development. You, one is not coming in necessarily known. Like, like it's, it's so fascinating. I shared this in DC yesterday. It's so fascinating to have the private lunchtime conversation with, with a small group of teachers who happen to be white. And, and I'll ask the question, hey, teacher, talk to me about your initial, uh, talk, no, talk to me about your prior exposure to children, to, to black or brown people. If, if I'm there talking about, if, if, if my purpose for being in the school is to talk to teachers of black children, let me just use it as, let me just stop doing this either or. Talk to me about your experiences uh, with, with, with intimate familiarity with black people prior to you becoming a teacher, right? And some will say they have that experience and exposure, but many will say to me, I don't have it. Like, I, my, 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 my familiarity with black people is from a distance, they'll say, like the mall, the sporting event, television, the news, the movies, the, the TV show, what, what, whatever. But intimate familiarity, they'll say to me, is through my fifth graders or through my third graders, through my freshmen, whatever the case may be. So, so now I say, so, that, so what you're saying to me, teacher, you don't know black people beyond the kids that you just met when you became a teacher, right? So, so thereby, there's so much study, so much learning you have to do because those children in that classroom may not be a representative sample of black life, of, of, of the black experience. And then I said, and then I'll go on to say to teacher, and here's what you want to consider. You're learning black people through these children, but these children, chances are, don't know their own experience beyond their personal experience. So in other words, historically speaking, they may not be familiar with the shoulders that they stand on and thereby their role along the continuum. So now you're talking about a situation if you don't know the history and the children don't know the history, now you're talking about ingredients for disaster because you got ignorance on both sides now. The children, I can't blame them though because they're children. It's your role to teach them that along with their parents, community and so forth. But if you don't know it, you can't teach what you don't know. So therefore, now when we talk about that cultural competency, that becomes problematic because you don't know these kids. 
you only know them in terms of pop culture, right? And you and you know them in terms of what you see in the building, but you don't know these kids. So you can't develop those lessons. You can't develop that pedagogical approach to come at them culturally responsibly because you don't know what that is yet. So there's so much learning that has to occur on the part of that teacher toward being that person that those students need that teacher to be. That's a great question. Um, to, to, I mean, because I, I think it's one of those questions we talked about yesterday in our meeting, being able to have some difficult conversations with your colleagues. That's it, difficult. And if you can't have those critical conversations, you can't expect to grow. Mm -hmm. And them folks at that particular district, they, they didn't want to have that conversation. Now, now, the beauty is my staff, over the years, they wanted to have it. But see, I had time to nurture that you know, to massage that. So the staff got to a point where it's just normal. You know, the, these are the conversations we have at every single staff meeting. That, and I'm speaking from their vantage point now because this is who we are. This is who this leader is. We're going to have these conversations because the data says that, for example, the data says that black boys are not achieving, right? So we're going to do sweep that under the rug, right? So, so, so if the data is saying black boys are not achieving, what are our strategies to ensure that these boys who are just as intelligent as anybody else in the world are achieving with the best of them, right? But, but if we decide to continue to be generic as opposed to being specific relative to what the data bears out, then those kids will continue to be underperformers. Wow. You know, <clears throat> and you spoke to me right there because I am the epitome, and, and Wilkie and I, almost every presentation, we tell the story of our exact opposite upbringings. Like, he's at Fifth Ward, did I get that Ward, right? Yeah. Fifth Ward, Houston, and I am a town in northwest Wisconsin called Cumberland that's got 2,100 people, no stoplights, and, and we were thrilled when we got a Burger King. Mm. Like, <laughs> I didn't, I didn't, I, there was one black student that I remember in all of my elementary and high school time. Uh, I went to a university in Minnesota that it, I, I hate sounding stereotypical, but I had friends that played on the university football team. That was my first time that I had black friends. Mm, okay. My friends were friends with them. Yeah. Still, I didn't, I wasn't exposed to that community and it wasn't until I, and I was that teacher that went, my first job was in Houston. And the learning curve was so steep because I had never, like you said, I had no context of what that life was really like and what those people really go through. And it, I mean, it took me, I mean, I could go back there for another 10 years and I still wouldn't have it all figured out. Yeah. But see, that, that fifth ward is, is, I mean, that's, that's, that's a different place from where you came from, you know, the ghetto boys rap about it in in, in, in the song, you know, so, mm -hmm. as, as, as you know, mind playing tricks on yeah, Absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> you know, so it's, it's, it's a lot to learn. So not only are we learning curriculum, but, we, but we're learning young people. We're learning communities. You know, one of the best things that could have happened to me was the experiences that I had growing up. Because what happened was my mom moving me from city to city, school to school, she reached the conclusion, I got I just got to get you out of the city environment, right? So when she moves us to a town called Woodbridge in New Jersey, 
which was down the New Jersey Turnpike, she she moved we, she moved me to a world that I didn't know existed. So here, it's the, it's the largest high school I ever attended. It's two thousand plus students, and I made African American number five, and I was there for three years. Right, so it was a culture shock. We didn't, you know, back in the city, we didn't we didn't dress like these kids. Like 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 blue jeans. Black children in, in that era. This is we're talking mid seventies now. Black children didn't wear blue jeans. We wore what was called Swedish knits. Right, these were these were dress pants with with these dress flannel shirts and 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 shoes. So I get to Woodbridge. They wearing jeans. They wearing t shirts with like rock bands on the front. They got long hair. They got these these gold key these I mean these silver keychains hanging from the belt. And I'm like, and and these boots. See, we like like black kids wasn't wearing boots back in them days. So so the Timberlands and all that stuff. So they wearing these boots, right? So it was this rock and roll type vibe. So I get down there, and 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 as I tell people when I tell this story, my I thought like Malcolm said in the autobiography of Malcolm X. I thought my name was N word. Because I got called that so much, not in the school though, but on the street. I would walk around with my basketball all the time because I played basketball. So I would walk around with my ball. I would dribble with my left, the, the strength in my left hand. So I would never leave the house without a ball. But people would ride by me, pull up next to me, yell out the window, A N word, go back to Africa, and, and screech off, right? So that was like normal. So, but then in the school, I didn't realize how invisible I was until I reflected back on it when I was a, an educator. So, I'm, so, so the point I'm making here, one of the best things my mom could do was to put me in that environment, right? As opposed to it being theory for me, I got to live in that environment. I got to be called the N-word on a regular basis. I got to be invisible in schools. I got to play basketball every year with Fs on the report card and nobody said anything about it. Right. So 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 now when I become an educator later and I'm and I got a staff that's predominantly white or I'm talking to audiences that are 100 percent white, I'm very comfortable in that space because of the three years that she exposed me to it when I was in high school. So although she put me in there because I couldn't function anywhere else, I didn't function there either. But at least I got the experience of being in that space and it helped me throughout the rest of my life. They didn't, you know, them folks, I was so invisible. I was, um, I spoke somewhere, some, somewhere, and, and somebody from that school um, had, had seen something on Twitter, so they posted about it. So I went on their Twitter page, and literally the day before, they had the 45th anniversary, 45th reunion uh, of, of the class of 79, which I was supposed to be 78, so the class of 79. And I said, you know, I wrote on there, I said, I was in the class of 79. You guys been having all these reunions and and and, and no one invited me. So they 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 like, who are you? Right. And I, I so I so I gave them all these reasons to, to to be able to recall who I was. They said, Oh my God, that's you. But and one of them said, But we know you, you're you're international presenter and and principal and author. I said, Yeah, I'm that same guy that was invisible in that school in 1979. They're like, you're a celebrity, but I'm that same guy that you yeah. never invited to wow. the You know? <laughs> wow. Yeah, so now they're like, well, we have number 50. <laughs> How many gonna be left? 
don't even know if I'll be left. But oh, you, if you we here, I'll be there. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Wow. But that just shines a light on how, you know, even to to know that, as you say, there is a Baruti Caffelli sitting in our classroom. Yeah. Who who could be at a crossroads of not understanding who they are, not understanding their position, not understanding what they're doing. And how can we as educators help navigate them early? Yeah. You know, early, because I, I, I really believe that early intervention, especially with our African-American boys. Yeah. Uh, you know, I always talk to the kids all the time. I go back to, to, to the... Um, to John Singleton in uh, Boys in the Hood when he yeah. says, I'm a threat, educated or not. You know, so you may as well get as much as you can right now so that when 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 they do stop you, you know, one of the kids was kind of crying the other day and at what crying, he just had a sad look and didn't want to work and I asked him what's going on and he shared an experience of being pulled over with, mm-hmm. with, with some friends and their uncle and how the police made them feel. Yeah. And this is what he's carrying into the classroom on a Wednesday, you know, but he's been in class Monday, Tuesday, trying to get by and Wednesday, something just hit him. And, and and it just was like this weight on him. And to talk to me about it, he began to cry. And when I cried with him and I hugged him and I say, this is why Mr. Law loves on you so much. Yeah. I say, because I know that there's other people out here who are going to see you and not going to want to love on you. But you need to know that there's at least one person on this planet that's going to love you and going to care about you and going to want the best for you. But again, if we're not that coach, like you say, that the understanding that this does happen in our community, profiling does happen in our community. And if we're doing the exact same profiling in the schools that they do in the streets, then are we providing an even better place for our kids? That's right. I mean, it's it's like it, w- it was interesting that that same district that I referenced I, I was talking to them about a typical conversation at home in a black household where particularly where there are sons who drive and, or even, even if they're not old enough to drive, the conversation about what to do when you are stopped by the police. So those ongoing repetitive conversations or reminders of make sure you follow the protocol that we've outlined here when you're stopped and we'll deal with it legally later, regardless of whether or not you feel you did something wrong or not. So I said to the, to the there was a handful of black teachers in that room because I said it was about 90, uh, 98% white staff and then that other 2% was black. So I said to them, raise your hand. They're speaking to the whole group. Whole yeah, whole secondary. We we broke it up into elementary, middle, and secondary. Raise your hand if you have these ongoing conversations with your children about what to do if stopped by the police, your sons. And all the black hands went up only. So I said, hold your hands up, just keep them up. I said to the, every everyone else, just look around the room and just look at the hands that are up. So they and I, and we just I just kind of froze that for a minute. So they looking. I said, okay, put your hands down. I said, you notice whose hands went up and you notice whose hands did not go up, right? I said, now think about it. Those, those parents who are teachers in, in right now in this space, but their parents, when they leave here, I said, those particular people, they feel that there's a need to engage their children in this conversation on a regular basis. But, but think about it, teacher. That child that's on the receiving end of that conversation is coming back to your classroom. 
and 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 when they're having this conversation, in so many cases, this person that that teacher is taught that that parent is talking about looks like you. I say you have to consider that, right? That's not an indictment against you because you're not the one that's responsible. But you have to you have to put yourself in the feet of a child and realize. So now this child is coming to school with a certain level of suspicion because of necessary conversations that go on at home. I said, in, in terms of cultural competency, you're not, you're not gonna be offended by that. You're going to embrace it, to understand the reality of a, of a black family when they're sitting in their living room and having to have that conversation because I, because I, because I don't wanna bury my son. I'd rather my son bury me, right? So it's a necessary conversation, but if the teacher becomes defensive, then oh man, we, we don't need to hear that kind of stuff. No. You do need to hear because you need to understand the conversations in a black home are very different from the conversations in your home. Oh man, I feel like I could do this all day, but we definitely <laughs> be, we're, we're hitting the hour and a, hour and a half mark. So we yeah, do right. be, be respectful of your time and we do appreciate it. So After San Antonio uh, though, I really didn't expect anything different, honestly. Oh I, no. But I will say this though, as long as the, for me, I really believe that conversation that, that you're, that you're invoking on, on others, especially in this space of education, as you know, Colin and I talk about it so much. How hip hop has kind of globalized yeah. the black experience, uh, and that is the that is that is what our kids see and live. That is what our teachers who are coming in know as being the black experience. Whereas myself, people like you understand that there's so much more. You know, I, I, I argued last time saying, why do we start our Black History Month off with, with slavery? Yeah. You know, we talk about the Harriet Tubman. We talk about the Malcolm X's. We talk about the Martin Luther King's. We talk about the people on this side. We don't talk about the kings in Africa. We don't talk about the queens of the kings and queens of Ethiopia. We don't talk about the fact that even if, even if you go back to, to Haiti, you know, one of the free Black uh, republics, that black history is not just relegated to the blacks and the Africans who were brought here to the United States. You got to go back further. Yeah. And with that under armed with that understanding, you walk a little different. You That's know, right. <laughs> you right. walk. And even you know, I had a group of a group of Hispanic kids, and I and I asked them, I said, "Do you know who says a child is good?" You know, a kid had a a Chi, a Chi Rivera a shirt on, and I asked him, "Do you know who that is?" Know you is. know what he stood for. You know, you're wearing it, the, the, the popularized images of these things, but you have no clue of what they really stood for. Don't know what it is. Right. And I think those are the conversations we not only have to have with students, but we also have to have, like you said, with those educators who are who are teaching those kids. I love that double ignorance. Man, that's, that's right. And see, I'm, I'm just so, you know, I felt so blessed that I was able to engage my staff in those conversations you know and expose them to some of these historians who were who were who were doing all this research and and having them read that kind of material to just make them that much more conversant in the experience beyond what they got way back in grade school in some textbook during february so it was ongoing hey guys just a quick question have you subscribed to this podcast yet if you haven't, 
communal will to us that you would stick by us on this journey of becoming the teachers that our kids deserve. And also, if you want to learn more about the work that we do, how we can help you grow your craft and sharpen your skills and build your confidence and become that teacher that you've always wanted to be, a teacher who lives in their own authenticity and is doing the best they can for kids, then check out the ledproject.com or patreon.com backslash value adds value. So those are the places you can find us as well as subscribing to this podcast to continue to grow as an educator with us. All right, so we got a couple questions left for you to wrap it up, but we want to, you know, give our sincere appreciation to you. For, Go ahead. No, I appreciate for you. Not, not, like I said, we, we started this podcast three years ago. We've done more than 200 episodes, but when we started, wow. brain, we started brainstorming, like, who are the people if we could get people on there? And you were right at the top of the list right away. Oh, man, I'm honored. Appreciate you. So, so for to three years later to be able to have this conversation with you is, is, is really, um, I don't, validating is kind of the word because it's, you know, we've, we've been continually putting the work in, but, um, we really appreciate it. So, um, before we ask you the last two, if people want to connect with you, find you, get in touch with you, where's the best place for them to do that? Yeah. Um, the website, principalcafele.com, um, spelled K-A-F-E-L-E principalcafele.com and, and on, as I say to everybody that website is not just a marketing tool but I call it my professional learning institute so we've got um about 550 videos on it from YouTube that, that will link you to YouTube to my nine different channels I've got about 50 articles and blog posts that I've posted there um about 20 podcast interviews and and just in my books are there and just a whole lot of stuff on the site um, so I, you know, like a lot of times when I'm out in, in the world, people ask me for my email address and I said, no, I'm not going to tell you, I want you to go to the website and get the email address from there to contact me. Cause I want you to just navigate the site and see what's there. Because you take, for example, um, a lot, I, I used to get, all, and I may have said this in San Antonio, I, I used to get all these calls. Well, I still get them, but I was getting all these calls about tips for an assistant principal interview or principal interview from teachers. Um, well, principal interview from assistant principal, but the assistant principal interview from teachers. And I was, you know, I'm responding to all these people. I don't know them. And I'm taking a lot of time to give them some tips on how to get through the interview and, get, and land a position. So finally, I said, it hit me. I said, well, I can't continue to do this. Just make the videos. So made, um, made two videos on um, interviewing for the assistant principalship and then another two for the principalship and showing folks how to, how to go in there and get the position. So those went viral and, and over 500 people um, have contacted me to say they got the, um, got the job. But then last week while I was sick, I had a bottle of water nearby and every time I coughed, I made these four videos on how to write a book because everybody writes me and says, how do I write a book? Um, so we made the four videos an hour each on planning for the book. Part two was on writing the book. Part three was on publishing or self-publishing. And part four was on marketing and distribution. So people are starting to watch those vids. So I'm saying all that to say, it's not just a marketing website. There's information on the site that can change one's life. 
that can change one's trajectory? It's just a matter of going on and seeing what your needs are and seeing if I've addressed them in some capacity and um, in, 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 in delving into the information. So principalcafele.com and then the blog page is right, is linked, is right on the page. So they don't have to take my blog address. You'll, you'll see it on the on the site in the menu. And that's how you contact me. The website is the, the uh, email address is there. So that's, that's how a person can contact me. And you're also pretty active on Twitter, right? That's usually where yeah, we Yeah, yeah. So Twitter, uh, at Twitter, I mean at Twitter, at Principal Cafele, um, one word. Um, and I'm on there all the time. I was on there this morning. And then at uh, Fa um, I said that Facebook, on Facebook, at Principal Cafele, two words, right? So Principal and Cafele, and you'll find me. You can't friend me, but you can um, follow me. And then if, if you're one who really wants to friend me, as many do, then we just coordinate that. And um, I drop some inactive account and, and add that person in. I did a couple of, couple of yesterday. So, yeah. so, cause some people really want to be friends instead of followers. So, so okay. Perfect. So second to last question, we'd like to, to ask this to everybody. If, and, and I, you know, you've really answered it, but if you could sum up, what is the one thing you think every kid should be taught while they're in school? Oh, um, the one thing, hmm. you know, as, you know, as I was saying before that, you know, particularly with young people of color, that, that, that history component is crucial. So, so the ability to answer the question, who am I? I have a chapter in my book, Motivating Black Males, to achieve in school and life, which is the chapter is entitled, Who Am I? And I think that's the most fundamental question that one could answer because there's a lot of folks out here, a lot of young people and adults out here that cannot answer that question. Um, they can answer it in terms of their name and, 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 and this on their birth certificate and, and, and very personal things about them. But in terms of the collective, who are you? Mm -hmm. um, you got too many that just don't know. They, they have no idea of the greatness that's within them. They, they don't know, like when you, when, when, Wilkie, when you were talking about the, um, the, the, the introduction of, of African-American or African history beyond 1619, so many that don't realize the science, the technology, the mathematics, the medicine, the, the astronomy, the architecture, the engineering that's literally flowing through their veins. Right. They, they they don't they don't they, they don't they don't have the, the wherewithal to understand that they come from that level and quality of a people. Right. Because because of the way that that, that, that their ancestry and, and, and contemporaneously have been described and defined in modern time. So it's, it's hard for them to make that leap. Of, of, of the, con the scientific contributions to the world, right? The mathematical contributions to the world, the engineering and architectural contributions to the world. It's hard to bridge that gap because of what they've been exposed to and thereby programmed to think otherwise um, in modern society. So, so, so that's key, but I'll couple on that, couple to that, understanding one's innate ability to get from the proverbial point A to the proverbial point B. In other words, said differently, I'm of the firm belief 
that whatever it is that you want to accomplish in life, it is yours, but you may not be able to walk the same path as the next person, as that, as that person that was born with more privilege than you. Your path may be an alternate path that may take longer than others. And that's not to say, that's not a black versus white. That's, that's just a privileged versus non-privileged. So you could be underserved white um, youngsters. And, and, and you may not have the same opportunity as the privileged white youngster. So your path, if the path is this way, theoretically speaking, you may have to go around and around and you may have to crawl on your knees, right? And, 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 and engage in blood, sweat and tears. But if, you, but if you are that passionate about getting there, that determined, that committed to your goal, then I'm saying that if that youngster has that innate belief that I can do it regardless of how difficult it is, I'm going to do it. So I'm saying, therefore, as teacher, to answer your question directly, I want to instill that. I can't teach drive. I can't teach heart. I can't, but, 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 but I can show you what it is. And then hopefully you evolve into it, right? It's like in the, in the sports world. So a coach will say, I, I can't teach heart. I can teach you skills. But I can't. But I can't teach you to have the heart to go out there as a as as as, as a warrior to win. But I can tell you what it is. So I want to at least expose a youngster to what that is. And now you do what you got to do. Because with me, I remember sitting, and, and I know you didn't expect this long of an answer. But let me just say this to you. I I remember sitting in in in, in the Harris Hotel, in, in on the Las Vegas Strip, in 1997. I, in, in March 1997, the Harris on the Las Vegas Strip watching Harry Wong. Now, I was there who, who, who wrote the first days of school, that, that book that sold millions of copies. I'm there for my first ever professional development as a vice principal. But I forgot I was there for professional development as a vice principal. I got caught up into the speaker. And, and looking at me as a speaker, not a vice principal. And I said, I'm going to be on these stages talking to the masses of educators as well. Well, that was 2000. That was 1997. I didn't get my first Las Vegas Strip keynote at the, at the Venetian Palazzo until July 15th, two, 15, 2013. Actually, I got these dates, they locked in, right? But... So it took me from 97 to 2013 to get my first Vegas strip keynote. Now I do it regularly, but I said, but when I saw Harry Wong and that in that Harris, I said, I'm I'm gonna be on that stage in one of them hotels on the Vegas strip. I couldn't walk the path he walked. So I had to walk that way and this way and back that way. But I said, Dag on it, I'm gonna be there. I'm coming. I'm coming, right? So, that, so, so see, that's what I want a kid to have. I want that. So, so now, this, this is a date I didn't memorize. So I'm going to say approximately 2009. I, I don't have that. For, for whatever reason, I didn't memorize, but I got it in my files. They, they, I was invited to speak to all the educators on the island of St. Thomas, U.S. Virgin Islands. I was still a principal. And so I'm like excited. Okay, big, big time. Okay. So I get there. And we go to dinner with the superintendent and her team. Sitting at the table with us is Harry Wong, right? I didn't even know he was coming. 
So I'm like, what's he doing here? So they said, Harry Wong is going to be the morning keynoter and you're the afternoon keynote. I said, see, that's what the heck I'm talking about. That's what I want to put in a kid. Because I'm looking at Harry Wong like, yo, I'm going to be in your shoes, right? And then now I'm sitting, I'm sitting, we don't want to call it a foreign country because it's part of U.S. versus, you know, United States, but I'm overseas sitting at a table doing the same thing he's doing. He's going to open it and I'm going to close it, see? So that's what I want to instill in a kid, man. They, look, man, look, young lady, the world is yours. Don't confine yourself to your block. Don't confine yourself to your city. You got access. You just might have to move differently, but you got access to it. So when the folks told me I'm not going to be keynoting the big conferences, I said, okay, all right, just keep watching me. It's going to take me a little longer, but you just keep watching me, and I'm going to be. That's, so that's my the long answer to the question. <laughs> All right. So, again, sir, we, like, we want to thank you for your time and, yeah. and, and everything you've done for us. Will, anything you want to say before? And I'll, I'll, Will, I'll let you wrap up and then ask the final question. All right. I just want to say I'm honored. I, and, I, and I have to admit, it was about three years ago when we started the podcast, I remember sending you an email. Um, and I think I may have been through LinkedIn. I was trying to find it right now through my phone, but I remember sending you an, a message and I was shocked when you responded. Uh, <laughs> and I told you what we did and I was like, there's no way he's going to respond. And all of a sudden I got an email from you and, and, it, and, and your question was, what can I do to help? And that question shook me because at that point, I, I wasn't prepared to say, this is what we're trying to do. We were just now getting going. And so to go from that point to where we are right now, I'm going to find a copy of that email and I'm going to put it okay. when we do, do this video. Because again, kind of a similar story, because again, it took a different route for us to get to that point to where we actually met you and actually invited you to be on the show uh, with us and talk to our guests. I mean, talk to our, our listeners about your experience and how they can be better. And I just want to say, man, I am, my, one of my old pastors used to say, I'm hippopotamously proud to sit here right now and to see that I, not only am I having, being able to interview you, but also to be able to have them meet you in the flesh and, and to talk with you and to uh, learn and glean from your experiences. I am humbled and, and, and very proud to be in this moment right now. I, I feel the same way. I appreciate you both. Appreciate you. Thank you, thank you, thank you. So our last question is the one that we, this is one of our favorite questions to get to people is, as an educator, what do you want your legacy to be? Oh, that's a good one. Um, I simply want my leg legacy to be that I woke up in the morning every day to touch the lives of children and in, 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 in today's times, through their teacher, through their leader, through their counselor. But, um, you know, my, my last name is Kefele, obviously, but it has a meaning. It's, it means worth dying for. But I gave it a little spin. It comes from the country of Malawi in Central Africa. I said the, the struggle for the liberation of the minds of our children is worth dying for. So when I stood on that stage in, at the University of Miami on May 1st, 2015, at the age of 54, and 
endured a heart attack 30 minutes into that speech and, and finished not knowing what I was having, but knowing I was in excruciating pain and then even took questions. I always say, you know, like the doctor said, I could have I could have died that night because my main artery was clogged 100%. They call it the widow maker. 60% of the people with that particular heart attack do not survive. So I could have died that night. But I had an audience of 200 principals, 200 administrators, I should say, in that audience. So had I died, had I made that transition, I would have died with a microphone in my hand doing this so it, it, it would have brought it full circle. I'm so grateful that God said, I'm not done with you yet and, and, and gave me more time and gave me the ingredients to, to extend my life in terms of exercise and diet and all that kind of stuff. But, but I'm saying that my legacy, just that he was, the kafele was about this. Like I was, I was, I was having, um, every now and then I have dinner with, with some of the, the top mainstream speakers. And I had one with, with one recently that I'm not gonna name because of what I'm gonna say. And, and he was saying to me, he said, Kefele, man, you gotta, you gotta raise your rates, they too low. And you know, I said, nah, it, I said, my rates have been what they have been since I started. And he said, yeah, he said, but you could be making so much more. You, you should at least double them if not triple them. And a lot of a lot of a lot of school districts say to me, your rates are high. And we we can we bring in other schools so that we can we 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 can share the expenses. So, but I know they're low in comparison to a lot of my, my peers. So I said, you know something, sir? I'm gonna keep mine where they are because my purpose for doing this is not to get rich. I'm 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 not on that that paper chase, right? I'm I'm not trying to be a millionaire in this business. I'm I'm doing well. But I'm, I'm, but, but I'm not seeking wealth in my work, right? I'm, I'm, I'm seeking to give wealth, right? In terms of the information. So that's, that's, so, 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 so I want, I don't want like, like, like sometime a speak, a, a client will come to me and they'll say, uh, man, I know, I know, I know this speaker, I know that speaker, and I know you know them, and they, they want this amount of money. They, that's too much money to pay a speaker. And I always say, I don't want some client somewhere having a conversation with someone saying, I like Kefele, but he's, he's, he's too overpriced. I want them to say, man, this dude is affordable. He's cheap and he's providing a wealth of information. See that that's, that's who I want to be, right? That the, the, the people see that, man, he, he's about this life. He, he, he's, he's about this work, not, not about chasing dollars, man. You know, so that's that's all I want to be known as. And as we say, value adds value. Yeah, that's where we got the name for the podcast, and what our mission is is to bring value back. And I think that what you contribute, again, in your legacy, you you will surpass many of the millionaires in the wealth that you will attain, even long after your your candle's been snuffed. Yeah. Uh, you, you will continue to 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 provide a wealth of information through the lives of the people and the number of people that you touch. And to me, you can't hang a price tag on that whatsoever. So we appreciate you, and we 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 appreciate you for having the wherewithal again to to stay the course, because we know, as you said in the beginning, this is one that easily get burnt out on. This yeah. is a profession that easily get burnt out on, and we're thankful that that you're here that you didn't get burnt out. 
you didn't go out with the heart attack and that yeah. you're still here to provide your guidance to the next generation of teachers. Appreciate you, both of you. All right. All right. Well, we appreciate your time, sir, and we look forward to the next time we, uh, we get to meet you in person. Yeah, definitely. Let me know when that goes on, too. Yes, sir. Sounds good. Yes, sir. Right. Have, a, have a great one. Yeah, Enjoy you. your Saturday, sir. All right. Thank you, you too. Mm -hmm. All right.